Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. I'm joined by Adam Clayton Powell, the third, my co-host, and today, two extraordinary guests, Sevilla Bader, co-founder of Leal Health, who comes to us from Tel Aviv, Israel, and Dr. Leonard Lichtenfeld, who goes by Len, who comes to us from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the subject before the house, as it were, is what is the role of artificial intelligence in medicine in general and in cancer in particular? What does your company do? I know it's vitally involved in using artificial intelligence in cancer, but you might want to give us some introduction. So what Lil Health does is basically we use artificial intelligence to help patient and oncologists find the right treatment for patients. As we look at the innovation that comes into the field of cancer care, there is more and more what we call precision uh, medicine, which means basically that they're targeting the treatment in a much more precise, personalized manner to the relevant patient. And therefore, the more option we have, the more attributes that comes into play in matching patient uh, to a treatment, the more complex it becomes. Now, we can no longer expect physician to be familiar not only with all the treatment, but also with the exact profile of patient that this is relevant to. Same when it comes to patient, how can they understand if a treatment is right for them? How can they know what are their options? And that's exactly where artificial intelligence can help because in, in our case, we we've developed an artificial intelligence solution that can read through treatment protocol, whether it's clinical trials or approved drugs, understand what it's called the eligibility criteria, meaning the profile of the patient this is relevant to, and then allow a patient to come in and in a matter of minutes, identify all the relevant treatment for them. We can also help them rate it based on criteria and based on the medical recommendation. We can help them understand it by curating the information from a medical language to a more patient-like friendly language. And that's exactly the type of things artificial intelligence can help with, and that's what we do with uh, Little Health. Thank you very much. And Leonard, you are an oncologist. You have been for a very long time. You worked with the American Cancer Society as chief medical officer for 19 years. Uh, what is your role in using AI in cancer treatment and cancer research? Well, thanks, Llewellyn. And, and I, I, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And let me just uh, say that one of my major roles is to support Leal Health and the work that they're doing to try to improve cancer care and bring more information to patients. One of the major issues is to be able to empower patients to understand what their options are. And the options may be as simple as, well, not simple, nothing in cancer is simple, but straightforward care. But more importantly, what are the other care options further down the journey, further down the path? And you know, even today, cancer care has gotten to the point where uh, there's so many new treatments and so many new approaches, and trying to understand and trying to bring all of that together uh, is critically important. And that's what Leal Health does, and I'm privileged to be an advisor to that company. But in addition, I have a, let's just say, a broader viewpoint of cancer care in general and trying to figure out how we can improve the quality of care to make sure patients have access to care, make sure that they don't get lost in the system, to make sure that the right tests are done at the right time. 
all of those are opportunities for for artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence in addition to to you know some of the more routine quote unquote more routine things such as transcribing progress notes uh looking at x-rays and trying to understand computer images looking at pathology there's a lot that's been going on for years a lot that we have opportunities today and certainly an incredible uh, opportunity going forward uh, to look at cancer care and make sure that people get the best possible care, what they need at that moment to help them through their journey. To both of you, uh, we keep hearing that one of the keys to cancer care is that it be personalized to each individual patient and at each point in time, and obviously for each type of cancer. How, do, how does AI help that? Let's talk about what's happened in cancer care because it's not a it's not a brand new story. It's a story that's actually been developing over quite a long period of time. But we are, have made tremendous progress in understanding what makes a cancer cell a cancer cell, and that's a pretty simple way of stating that cells are made up of complex processes, uh, and particularly the genetic content, the genetic code of a cancer cell, what drives it. So now we have a better, much better understanding of what treatments may be available to help people if they're diagnosed with cancer by taking that tissue, looking at it carefully, and then understanding that they're what we call targeted therapies uh, or even immunotherapy for which a patient may be eligible and help them. Getting that information, processing that information, making sure it gets to the patient, that's really important. Let's talk a little bit, though, about clinical trials. Because as we understand more about what drives a cancer cell, the complexity, we've got to find those patients where they are. And that's what Leal Health helps, you know, brings to the table, the ability to help patients take their information and find out if there's a newer treatment that might be more successful. We hope, we want to believe that every oncologist has every opportunity. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't. Uh, they may not have access to that information we need to make sure that our computer our computer power enables us to look at the particular qualities of that patient and then make certain that they get the right tests, as we talked about a moment ago, the right time, and that they have the best opportunity for the best outcome. Can we talk about uh, clinical trials for a minute? To uh, me, on your website, you said the process for patients to gain access to advanced treatments through clinical trials was completely broken. Is that something yeah. that we're using AI to address? Absolutely. I think when it ties to what Dr. Len was just mentioned, at the end of the day, there is just on oncology over 23,000 recruiting clinical trials right now. It's a large volume of trials. It's a lot of innovation in the process that each one is looking for a very specific uh, patient set. How do we find it? Our system is built on the concept that the patient goes to his oncologist and the oncologist recommend the treatment. So how do we expect the patient to find those treatment, the relevant clinical trials, or the oncologist be familiar with such large volume of clinical trials? It's unrealistic expectation from both ends and, and the reality we live in today. So the only way to really improve the process is basically being able to find tool using artificial intelligence. Think about it, it's a little bit like we hear a lot these days about Gen AI, right, and ChatGPT. At the end of the day, what ChatGPT does, 
it combs the internet in a very intelligent manner, right? And find you the, inf the exact precise information you're looking for. So it's the same kind of concept we're applying on clinical trials. We build our own artificial intelligence that can come through all those 24,000 recruiting clinical trials, understand it, and then being able to find the right one for the right patient when he's looking for one. And that's exactly what we can do with artificial intelligence. It's not going to replace the oncologist's brain, know-how, expertise, and advice on, on whether they should or should not uh, start or apply to a trial, but it will remove the question of what's out there from the table. And the discussion between a patient and oncologist can start from the point that they know all the options that exist, and now they can make the best choice of care for the patient. Um, what is your personal journey that brought you to co-found Leo? So as a lot of time with, when, uh, with startups, it comes from your own uh, journey. And in at, at December 2013, I was diagnosed with metastatic melanoma. Um, at the time, melanoma was one of those uh, cancers that did not didn't have a very effective standard of care as it did not respond well to the chemo treatment. So the outlook for me was not looking the best, but as I like to laugh about it, and Dr. Len knows it, the cancer didn't know who he was facing this time, which was me. So I started my own journey in trying to identify what are my treatment options and what's out there for me. And I think I touched every milestone that exists in a journey of a patient from eight surgeries, four approved drugs, immunotherapy, targeted therapy, and three clinical trials. And, and that's actually what saved my life. Uh, so as I was going through this process from the eyes of the patient, you realize how broken the system is and how limited the amount of information you can find at any given, at any given point. Even your oncologist, he only knows what he's aware of. He can only offer you what's in the hospital that he's treating you with. So there is always a very limited, narrow option channel instead of getting access to all those amazing innovation and options out there. Um, and, and you have to be very proactive and you have to work really hard to identify treatment options for you. And that's exactly what we're trying to solve a little bit and elevate it, elevate it a little bit by uh, with the Lille Health uh, artificial intelligence algorithm. Um, and then I take it you've been at, obviously in the field for a long time. What turned you into a, an oncologist of all of the choices a graduating doctor has? I, you know, I, I don't want to tell you how long a time it's been. You know, it's, it's been a while. Uh, and, and frankly, I, I, I will share. I, went, I go back to the beginnings of what I would call modern oncology. And we had uh, started, I started National Cancer Institute, and we had very little to offer. Melanoma is actually an excellent example because we, we were treating melanoma in, in the early 70s with the same drugs we were treating with at the end of, the, or the end of that century. And it's only been in the last number of years that we've had these incredible advances. And those incredible advances occurred because, uh, because of, of clinical trials and the knowledge that we built one step at a time, one piece on top of another, research, and then the, the, the drugs that came from that. But what turned me into an oncologist was, in fact, the opportunity to, 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 to help, help tackle of what seemed at the time a very, very difficult problem. 
we were we didn't you know we didn't have much to offer cancer patients back in those years. Um, we had uh, we didn't have many drugs. The drugs we had didn't make much of a difference. And when you step into that environment and you begin, you understand it's the beginning of perhaps a new era in cancer treatment, one that makes a big difference. That that was important to me uh, on behalf of patients and those the people that we cared about uh, from from those years. Now oncology has become a very it's very, it's much more advanced. Um, I like to say that we now have the both the will and the way to make incredibly even more progress than we've made. We have much further to go. I understand that. But we're building on that research and to see that develop over the course of a career, um, you know, don't ever take what we've accomplished for granted. The things that we have learned from clinical trials, from and frankly, from the patients and the families that have contributed to those trials, contributed their time and their lives, their commitments, um, we now, you know, we, we, we take things for granted, for example, in breast cancer treatment, uh, melanoma has converted from a uniformly advanced melanoma, as Fia was talking about, from the uniformly, unfortunately, fatal disease to one where we still have too many people that we lose from melanoma. But the outlook we can offer today is so much incredibly different. That's transpired over a very long period of time. So for me, it's been the challenge being part of that process, a small, very small part, but a part of that process. And now today, as we're having this conversation, the real question is how do we get more of that knowledge, more of that care, more of that awareness, more of that access to people in need to make their journey perhaps a bit less burdensome, perhaps a bit more successful, uh, and move through, a, a, you know, as, as some of us are very much aware what used to be uh, inevitably futile, but now with much more promise than what we've had before. So there are a lot of drivers, Llewellyn, um, but ultimately trying to do good for more people, making sure they have access to care, that's a major driver for me personally and, and for many of those that I, that I have the pleasure and honor of working with. We hear a lot about artificial intelligence and sometimes uh, it uh, sounds like science fiction, uh, sometimes it's uh, science fiction come to life, but what can't artificial intelligence do in uh, cancer care? What are the limits? Where, where do we absolutely have to have, I don't know, human, the human in the loop? Artificial intelligence can help us throughout the entire journey of, of drugs development. So it can help identify the mechanism of how cancer cells operate and then come up with some, con can help us identify some concept on how to treat it. It can help accelerate the development of the drugs. It can help accelerate the clinical trials recruitment that Dr. Len just mentioned by finding the right patient uh, um, to those treatment. It can help educate patients around clinical trials um, and around treatment options. It can help identify pattern in response that we might have missed otherwise with the human eye. But we need to be very, very aware. Artificial intelligence is, is still... It doesn't, it's not free of error. So we always laugh about the human error, but artificial intelligence actually cause error even more than human. So it can, it can lead to biases, especially on the data sets that we are having right now uh, in the system that doesn't have good representation of diverse population. So some of the assumption it can come out of those data sets could be completely wrong. So we have to be very careful 
when we look at it and, and we make judgment and we need to understand those can be rec only recommendation. We need to be very aware what do we let what do we train it on? Actually, the next generation of AI is not even trainable. Um, and it does cause, as some people like to call it, hallucination with his findings. So we do need human to take another look at it and, and see that it makes sense. We need to control the data sets to eliminate any kind of biases. And we always, always need human to make the decision. It can bring you information. It can process information. It can help identify things that maybe we miss with the human eye, but it doesn't have the wisdom, the know-how that we have in terms of making the right decision and the recommendation. Um, so we use it for what it's good for, but we use it carefully and we don't let that determine uh, the outcome, if you ask my opinion, at least. AI is not new. What was new and got very, everybody very excited, of course, was chat GPT and the ability to large language processing and that sort of thing. But the ability, the, the, the opportunity to take machine learning and try to improve diagnostics, as Fia alluded to, uh, that's been around for a while. Uh, we've had some some successes. We've had some not so successful. You have to train a, a, a device in order to be able to, to have it understand. A simple example was the examination of skin lesions in people of color. Uh, the the biases that were built into the systems uh, did not, you know, meant that, the, that the, and, and we've seen that show up in other uh, training sets as well. So we have to understand what the opportunities, what the limitations are. I'm going to tell you, and 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 bear, this is not very exciting, but let me tell you what I think is important, and Sphia alluded to this. We need systems that really can help us understand that people are getting the appropriate care at that moment in time. We have incredible opportunities to help people. But if we can't get that information, can't get that treatment to people, we need to understand how to better improve that process, improve that journey. We need to make sure that people don't get lost in the system. We need to make sure that people get the, the support that they need. We need to make sure that these tools that Sphia you know, talked about, that these tools are, in fact, well prepared for the task that they say that they can do. You know, technology moves at a very rapid pace. I mean, there's no question about that. We understand that. But proving that technology really does what it says and it has a positive impact, that takes a lot longer. And we can't forget with all the excitement that we have to be somewhat cautious. In fact, uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association, one of their most recent issues, had a number of articles about the potential limitations of AI, privacy issues, accuracy issues, training, all of that. We need to pay attention to that. But at the same time, how can we get how can we make the system more responsive to people? Not the clinicians providing the care, the teams providing the care, the patients and the families receiving that care. What kind of systems can we bring to play that really make a difference? And aren't just something that I call the gee whiz technology of the moment that uh, everybody thinks is going to solve all of our problems. It will in time, no, no doubt, but we have to be a little bit cautious and introspective before we say it's solving everything today. It has occurred to me over time that we keep talking about getting out of the box, but there's an awful lot in the box that we don't know about. Um, and off label uses of drugs is one of those. Uh, with AI, you can match drugs that were invented for some quite other purpose, in my have 
you know, laying on the shelf for decades for a specific use. What is the progress there? Are there ways, are there examples you can point to? Well, I, you know, that that's not a new idea. Uh, you know, it's been around for a while. People said, if we accumulate all the information we possibly can and put it into a system, that we'd be able to analyze that information and we'd be able to get those clues that you're talking about. Uh, you know, looking at what treatments work in what types of patients. So some of us are older, some of us may have other underlying medical conditions, some of us may have lung disease, may have a company kidney, whatever it may be, that, that AI and, and, and computer science would be able to get us there. And then we ran into a very interesting, not interesting, a sad and fundamental problem. And that is that the quality of the data that we have available today what we would call we call structural data that is data that can be analyzed is not as high quality as what we would like and so that has become a real barrier some major organizations have brought large numbers of medical records together to be able to do that and they're sorting through and they've they've worked on the process but the quality of the data is, is has been a problem that's hard to hard to understand but you know, not every piece of data is the same so I agree with you. There are drugs, actually drugs have been around for decades that have found new use with new new procedures, but we have to have be able to analyze that data and and and, and find those those pearls, those opportunities. And frankly, AI through the massive computer power, computing power has that capacity, has that hope. But once again, you have to be able to look at the information in order to process it. And that's proven more difficult than originally thought. Savia, what is the uh, focus uh, internationally of your company? Is it in Israel? Is it in the US? Is it global? And where do you operate? And where is your target audience or your target market? So our target market or our target focus is definitely the US. Um, that's where we focused until now, U.S. and Canada, so North America for that purposes. That's where a lot of the innovation is taking place. Uh, that's where we have over 70% of the, so sorry, almost 80% of the patient, uh, cancer patient population being treated in the community setting where there is more barriers for them to get into advanced care. So our mission um, is even more important in the U.S. and also making sure the diverse population right now have less representation and less access to advanced care, get that same level of care and get access to the most advanced care. Um, as we grow in the coming years, we're definitely gonna expand into the rest of the world, starting from Europe and elsewhere. Israel for us is important at heart to begin with. Uh, and uh, therefore in our R&D, our research and development uh, is taking place in Israel as Israel from a technology perspective is considered very innovative. Um, and of course, as such, it is also a place that we look into and focus in terms of innovation and, and development of the uh, artificial intelligence solution. Lynn, uh, back in 2011, you won an award for patient information and education. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that part of uh, treatment. And also you've mentioned families a couple of times. So patients and families. Let, let me focus on what I would call the activated patient. And, and Svea has, has referred to that uh, indirectly in the past. Uh, ultimately, 
making sure that one gets the best care, yes, is in the hands of the clinician, let's in the team, let's not ignore that. That's critically important, obviously. But it's also in the hands of the patients and families. Um, and I don't mean to say that that the patient is solely responsible for making sure they get that care. But the point is that the more information that people have about their disease, about their treatment, the opportunities that they have for getting perhaps newer treatment or moving into a clinical trial, then the better the outcome is going to be. It, it's very difficult to be passive uh, in this environment um, and, and not reach out, not try to, to learn if there's something more. So I've always, and through obviously through my relationship with the American Cancer Society, felt strongly that getting information into the hands of the public, getting information in the hands of individuals uh, is a very important part of cancer care. The, the good news today is that that information is, is available through organizations like Leal Health, through you know, uh, high quality, high quality internet sites. So we can arm ourselves and, and, and do better when it comes to cancer care. What, one of the interesting things that I don't know, we haven't talked about, but the cancer tr clinical trials, only 5%, or you know, plus or minus the number varies depending on who you read, around only 5% of the people in the United States get into clinical trials. And yet so many, so many people have benefited from those that have gone before and participated in those trials. And today we have drugs that maybe, there may be only 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 people in the United States who are eligible to receive that treatment. That means we have to find every person we possibly can in order to, to give them the opportunity. I could tell stories, and I, we don't have the time for that, stories where that information made a difference in, in the lives of someone who didn't know and their clinicians didn't know that that trial was available. So it's about information. It's about education. It's about engagement. It's about making sure the information is available that you understand, that your team is helping you understand the circumstance and what the opportunities are. And, you know, the one, we can talk about AI and all the great things about AI, but, you know, fundamental internet information becomes critically important understanding a disease, what can be done, and again, hopefully improving the outcome uh, for those who, who are, have been diagnosed with cancer. I know, I know we're just about out of time, but uh, as someone who lost both of my parents to uh, cancer at ridiculously young ages, they were both in their early 60s, uh, it's uh, really heartening to hear the kind of work that's being done now. Uh, now, you know, that was 40, 50 years ago, but uh, uh, there's been a great deal of change since then. Thank you very much. And we are out of time. I would like to take this opportunity to salute both of you and to everyone who works in cancer research and cancer treatment. We will be back with a different program next week. Until then, cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.